This is the Financial Compass with Matthew Brunner from Comprehensive Planning Associates. When a part of your financial strategy is out of tune, your long-term goals, your retirement savings, and your legacy can all suffer. With many years of experience in the financial industry, Matthew provides his clients and prospects with the information that they need regarding social security, retirement income planning, wealth management, and much more. Listen in as we address your financial concerns and provide helpful solutions to put you on the path to achieving your retirement goals. And now here is Matthew Brunner to help you find your financial direction. Hello and welcome to the Financial Compass. My name is Matthew Brunner from Comprehensive Planning Associates, LTD or Compass. If you'd like more information about what you hear during today's show, give us a call 800-339-9252 or visit us online at compass-ltd.com. While you're at the website, scroll on down to the radio section of the page. You can check out past shows. You could subscribe to the program on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And please don't hesitate to reach out to us with topics for future shows, questions, or to set up a face-to-face or virtual meeting. Now, market volatility and its ramifications have been a source of financial angst for so many Americans since the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic. Actually, since long before that, let's face it. And now we have this current situation in Ukraine, the related significant economic sanctions on Russia, adding even more uncertainty to both our economy here at home as well as the global economy. During uncertain economic times, I I receive plenty of concerned emails, phone calls from interested parties, very rarely clients because we do the planning from them, but let's not get too far off the premise of the show here. A lot of people are asking if, you know, their retirement strategies are in jeopardy. Now, if they had a plan, maybe not, but You know, usually a robust strategy can often hold up well against economic upheaval, but worrying about your economic future is only natural, right? No matter what we may know about the history of the market, getting worried about it is a totally human response. Now, during this segment, we're going to discuss how you may be able to better handle economic anxiety. But before we begin addressing this topic, let me interest the cure to everyone's anxiety dr tony shore tony tony how you doing i'm doing great i'm doing great it sounds like you've got a good show lined up for us matt and thanks for having me on once again glad to well, be here well thanks for being here oh thanks yeah. for doing it with me would after week tony wouldn't miss it wouldn't miss it um uh, well i might something well it's good that you don't because <laughs> if you did miss up. it who would record it <laughs> if something more important came up um, <laughs> no, that's right. That's right. Well, you know, I think that, uh, it is getting crazy out there, but I've been good. The last week has been good. Uh, we were talking before the show. I, last night I went, if I sound a little groggy, I went to a concert last night, journey and Toto, my wife and I went, we got free tickets, so we couldn't say no. And, uh, it was an amazing show. I have to say, so that was fun. Otherwise I've just been busy with work. How about you? You've been doing some, you you got away for a little bit. You went to the big city, didn't you? I did. I snuck down, uh, met up with some friends from college, and we went and saw the Big East Tournament in New York City uh, last weekend, and that was great. Uh, my, our, team, my t- our team of choice did not make it to the finals. They only made oh. it to the semifinals, but that's okay. We still had a great time, and um, it was interesting to see New York City kind of, I haven't been there since pre-COVID. 
So it was interesting to see it come back to life. And uh, it's it's a bummer to see some old places that aren't there anymore. Uh, but, you know, that's going to happen in any city, no matter how long something lasts. At some point, it's going to become something else. But sure. we had a great time and it was a ton of fun. Yeah. Fun watching the Big East basketball. Wow. Got to go see the Big East uh, tournament. I love that. Well, and now we're back to business because uh, there's a lot going on out there. And it seems it's seemingly um, all bad. It seems like there's nothing good going on with, with, uh, you know, at least COVID, I guess that's the good news. It seems to be finally, uh, letting up and the restrictions have been let up. So, uh, that's a positive, but then right on the heels of COVID, we have the Ukraine situation and, uh, Putin who, why he's doing this. God only knows he's crazy. And, um, and it's terrible. It's a tragedy over there. So, uh, that's affecting our markets here, though, uh, as well as other factors are affecting our markets, aren't they? Well, there's always factors affecting the markets. I mean, well, quite honestly, true. you know, a, a butterfly could sneeze in Japan and it'll affect our market. Yeah. Or a <laughs> or a dictator can invade the country next to him under whatever pretenses he chooses and it will affect the market. Although you can't predict to what level either one of those things will do it. Right. Uh, that's but. Nonetheless, they do. Yeah. Uh, now, there was a, a business article from CNN. Put your feelings aside for CNN, no matter whether you like them or not. Cable news is not my favorite thing. But they did have a decent article, and it's three steps for dealing with market volatility. And most of these, I feel like they've been listening to our show, Tony, and, and taking notes because this is some information I think we've been talking about for years now. Yep. Uh, now, in January, the S&P fell by more than 5%. Now, it's that's the worst performance it's had since the early days of the pandemic. And conditions remain challenging well into February. The article uh, also explains that, you know, financial experts, they're gonna, predicting economic volatility will remain for some time. Uh, that's... <laughs> That's just such an easy thing to say, yeah, mostly well, because it, it has for yeah. all of time. <laughs> yes. Right? So yes. Volatility is here. It's here to stay. It will always be here. And the closer you look at it, the bigger it looks. Right. Wait, but you, volatility wait, wait, is are always, you actually is saying, wait, Matt, are you actually saying that there's going to be market volatility in the future? Well, no. let, and let, let me tell you why I can statement. use this as a basement, <laughs> as a statement of fact. If there wasn't going to be market volatility in the future, you'd know exactly what your returns are going to be for the rest of your life. <laughs> and you don't. So, And you don't. So yeah. that has always existed. Now, the more we pay attention to it, the more it tends to become more volatile as people get worried and do different things. Um, you know, and there is, let's, we can't ignore it. There's things like inflation, rising interest rates, the political upheaval, uh, the continued fallout from COVID-19. These are all going to play factors and different factors in the economy, but volatility is a thing. Always has been. Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously it has, and that's, that's huge, but, um, you know, I can't imagine there's a lot out there that gives retirees and, and pre-retirees uh, stomach pains or headaches like market volatility, even though it's, it's always been there and we'll always have some volatility, it still causes a lot of, um, emotions and angst and stress amongst investors, right? It does. And that's why it makes for such juicy headlines for networks like CNN. <laughs> Good point. Uh, let's <laughs> Good remember point. again, I'm going to make as the premise of my volatility discussion, it has existed. It always will. 
Otherwise, we would know every return we're going to have forever. But because they don't, how we react to it is the important thing. And that's the, that's the thing we, when I said in the beginning, that's the normal human emotion because things happen. Now, if you're, if you've done some very good planning, you've shored up your strategy a bit, but the article does explain this market volatility can sometimes be a positive thing for some long-term investors who stick to dollar cost averaging. Mm. Now it's again, something we've been talking about for ages. Again, I think they're listening, Tony, but maybe not. <laughs> maybe it's just that we have some common knowledge here. Sure. And that means you regularly, you know, dollar cost averaging, you regularly contribute to investments investments in your investment accounts over time because it potentially allows them to buffer some of the risk because you purchase stocks during both the highs and the lows. So sometimes you buy it on the little higher side. Sometimes you buy it average and sometimes you're buying it at sale prices and it essentially levels out your returns and actually over time may give you a slight advantage. Different, different papers and stances on that. Now, the article also further explains the recent performance has some investors nervous about the possibility of a correction that sees the market fall by 10% or more from recent high points. But that shouldn't scare anybody because that happens historically almost annually. But it, when it's tied into news cycles, boy, does it seem like it's never happened before. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it does seem like... Uh... It, it is the news really, uh, I don't know what, what the word is inflates that. Um, but it, it is true. There is volatility and it is true. It does affect people. So we do mm -hmm. have to address it. Right. Absolutely true. Yeah. So yeah. How about some steps for dealing with it? How yes. does that sound? What's the first right. one? First one, move the money you need in the short term out of the market. Now, if you've done proper planning, you didn't move it out of the market. You created those accounts, you know, things like, uh, you want these things for your emergency fund cash for things like down payments on a home home or even home renovations, maybe wedding. And you can put it in tools like high yield savings accounts, money market funds, cash or cash equivalents. Um, there's no, there's no danger if it's properly planned and having that properly allocated emergency fund or short-term fund. Now, they also want to say if you retired close to it, you plan to use a portion of your portfolio for everyday costs. That's, again, why we have a slightly bigger buffer for the people that are removing, moving towards retirement or just pre-retirees. And that's moving at least two years worth of expenses out of the stock market. Now, that would certainly help since generally the average peak to trough on any bear market that we had, the average uh, and a bear market's a correction, a pullback of 20% or more has been about 15 months. So especially early on for retirees, having those cash needs for your non-discretionary spending can become a very important tool in not losing the longevity of your portfolio when you need it for uh, your normal expenses through your retirement years. How's that sound for you for tip number one, Tony? That sounds great. I mean, it's great advice. So what's tip number two? Okay. I didn't leave you confused because I feel like at the end I got to, did I, did I close that one off properly you did. for you? Yeah, okay. you did. All right. So tip number two, stick to your plan, especially for your longer term investments. Now during times of, let's call it extreme economic volatility, 
even if it's minor, I don't care which one it is, because we're all going to have different ways to react to this. It's perfectly natural to become jittery, to get nervous. What isn't natural is to do things that will torpedo your future. You can't allow those feelings to cloud your long-term goals. Take a breath. Remember what you're saving for. If you've put your plan in place, take out your plan and reread through it. See what the effects of that volatility has. Hopefully your plan's been tested against this volatility and it still allows for you to succeed. If you're diligently putting money away for retirement that's still years off or, you know, maybe for your two-year-old's college education, don't get knocked off course. As the article makes plain, and, have, and as we have time and time again, you still have lots of time for your investments to recover from dips or corrections. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that, that makes sense. Uh, your two-year-old's college fund. I love that one. That's- <laughs> yeah. And listen, the reason some financial experts urge long-term investors to keep most of their money in a diversified portfolio with a heavy focus on stocks is volatility and short-term risk may allow for higher returns over time. Historically, they have. Ultimately, you must determine for yourself what allocation is in your best interest based on your time frame, your risk tolerance. And if you don't know what those are, speak with a financial services professional. Yeah, like Preferably yourself. Preferably a fiduciary. Yes, like yourself. And I think that's very important. So what's the third tip? Okay, third and final tip for this topic. Make sure you have realistic expectations. You know, even when the short-term if the short term, if there's a short term bear market, let's say the one that struck during the beginning of the pandemic, investors have seen record performance in recent years. You know, S and P is up nearly sixty percent during the last three years, and the article goes on to note it's easy to lose sight of the fact that historically returns tend to run more in the ten percent range, and bear markets, like we said before, those pullbacks of twenty or more percent, generally occur once every two or three years. Uh, it used to be a little bit further spaced out. But if you plan for those bear markets, and that's 20%, 20% or more. And when it that does happen, it's generally higher than 20%. So if, if you understand that there is kind of, there's historical precedent for these things happening and seeing them happen, especially when you get near to retirement or just retired, it is certainly going to create a pit in your stomach. Sure. But if you, if you can't calm yourself down, call your advisor, talk to them. If you don't have one, find one. If you're going into this alone in retirement and you get that worried when things happen, you probably, I I would go beyond probably. You need someone to help you with that. Anticipating that your investments will continue to perform as they have during the last three years, it's just not reasonable. Right. Okay. It's right. There's, there's averages for a reason. Yep. And I, I think these are good insights, but to me, it's also, again, a reminder of the importance of working with a financial services professional like yourself, a fiduciary. Mm-hmm. And so if our listeners want to set up that no charge consultation, there's no obligation, sit down with you and talk about getting a plan together. Uh, how do they do that? Super simple. Give us a call 800-339-9252 or visit us online at compass-ltd.com. And I will help as many people as I can, but there's clearly going to be a limitation. You know, our tens of listeners, if they all called at once, (laughs) might take a little while to uh, get them, you know, everybody in. We can't get you all in in a week, right? But work with someone. I I will help as many of you as I can, 
But if I'm too busy, I will find you the next person to work with or I'll hire them for you. Sure. But, <laughs> but nonetheless, work with someone. Sure. And so you, now we've been looking at some of these ways that people can protect their assets and financial strategy from market volatility or may be able to. Um, I know you wanted to switch gears a bit also to discuss Medicare today. Yeah. And so, uh, what do you have? What do you mean? Uh, you told me you want to discuss Medicare in a way that maybe we really haven't before. Yeah, I, we talk about this a lot. And I know that it often, sometimes when we talk about these things, we get really bogged down in the how it's structured and what this is for the and minutia. what this does. And it gets really info and detail heavy. And there's going to be a little bit of that here. But with some of these unknowns and some of these, looking at some of the dates, you know, I, people ask about this all the time. Bottom line is, yeah. I, you know, if I'm sitting at dinner somewhere and I'm talking to someone I haven't seen in a while, the, what, what, that might be one of those questions that comes up probably every three conversations I have with anyone who is either getting near that time of their life or as a parent or someone getting near that time of life. And they ask about Medicare, but they also, you know, there's all these things, but you hear that it's in trouble. What can we do? What, are there any answers to it? Now, I am not uh, by any means a national health insurance policy expert, but do a little digging. And there is a decent article uh, Kiplinger put out five fixes that could help save Medicare. Um, and so I want to pass on some of those ideas because yes, there's, there's a chance that some, there might be some issues, but there might be some things that could help. And the earlier, I think everybody has this information, perhaps the more support some of these things might gain uh, and perhaps your elected representatives will do their job instead of just doing <laughs> what they want to do. Good luck with that. But, well, you know, but you've got me fired up here. So what are some of these key things uh, that jumped out at you uh, that could help save Medicare? Okay, let's start some of the basics. We've seen all these news stories, blaring headlines, again, like volatility, right? That Medicare is in big trouble thanks to subpar funding and increasing costs. Uh, okay, I think we can all probably agree that's true. So as it currently stands, by 2026, Medicare's trust fund for Part A could run dry. Now, we call Part A covers inpatient care, both hospitals and skilled nursing facilities. And it's funded mainly through a 2.9% payroll tax. Employers and employees both kick that in at 1.5%. So they split it. Uh, high income earners, they do contribute more. So, you know, the 1%, you can take a, take a breath. You don't have to yell at them right now. They do earn more or pay more. The Congressional Budget Office projects that another $516 billion is needed to cover the program's potential shortfall between 2026 and 2031. Now, oh. that might seem like pocket change to Bill Gates and Elon Musk, <laughs> but that's real money not, to you and I, Matt. Yeah, real money to us, right? So, without any action, Medicare is enough revenue to cover about 91% of Part A costs beginning in 2026. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, now this is, that's, uh, those numbers got my attention. So what does the Kiplinger article say about parts B and D then? I've always said Kiplinger. Should we have no, this discussion no, it's now? Kip, it's Kiplinger. You're right. I, I said, jur. Maybe you're right. I've no, always no, gone with the hard right. J. No, you're right. I just mispronounced it just now. I, 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 I always think Kissinger. So that's uh, the yeah. way I say See, it, but it's right. not. I, I, I'm willing to concede I might be nope. wrong on nope, this. Nope, you're not. You're right. Okay. You're All in right. the right as as usual per the norm. Per so the norm. Weird. So weird. Uh, no. <laughs> okay. The next 
what you asked, Medicare B and D, uh, and that's doctor visits, uh, prescriptions in that order. B is visits and D is prescriptions. Uh, they're funded ben, uh, through beneficiary premiums and tax revenue. Now there's some good news, bad news here. B and D are currently well-funded because their spending's tied to expected yearly expenses, but bad news, uh, current adequate funding doesn't necessarily mean B and D are on solid economic footing. You know, B prices and expense, well, expenses are rising faster than those for part A, even outpacing the overall economy. And we've talked about on previous shows and the article also makes abundantly clear Congress will need to address Medicare. And that's kind of the scary part to me is that Congress is going to do it and not people. <laughs> uh, in my opinion, uh, in my opinion, address it. They will, though, because the program is nothing short of essential for millions of Americans. The only question is how they'll address it. My guess will be by accusing the other side of doing the wrong thing for months and months and months. Yeah, good guess, yeah. Uh, unfortunately. So. <laughs> So, I mean, the bottom line here is obviously Medicare needs a little help. Uh, so what should be done or what can be done? Okay. First potential fix, increase the eligibility age above the current 65. Oh. Uh, some members of Congress have advocated for lowering the age to 60 for non-financial policy reasons. We won't get into that right now. But fact of the matter is lowering the age wouldn't help the program's fi finances, more than likely. Uh, argues that because... Uh, the article does because of changing demographics, there may well be no choice but to raise the eligibility age sooner rather than later. Yeah. Uh, so when Medicare became law in 65, oddly enough, a 65 year old man was expected to live about another 13 years and a 65 year old woman was expected to live an average of another 16 years. Now those numbers have jumped for 18 years for men and 20 years for women. Uh, at the same time, there are currently fewer workers contributing the taxes that support the beneficiaries. So yeah, in 1966, 4.6 workers supported one enrollee. And in 2030, it's expected that 2.3 workers will support one enrollee. So you can see the problem there. Yeah. Yeah. That math doesn't work. And I'm sure that uh, at least for some of our listeners out there, Matt, I, especially if you're in your late fifties or early sixties, the idea of Medicare eligibility age going up is going to cause their blood to run cold. I mean, what are mm -hmm. some of the pros and cons of this? Well, it, pro, let's start with the pros. Uh, uh, increasing the eligibility age that m it may go down easier than you think for some people because uh, something similar has happened before. So in 1983, Congress increased the full retirement age for Social Security from 65 to 67. We've talked about that for you know a long time now. They oh, spread yeah. it over a 22-year window. Uh, that began in twenty and two thousand, so we're getting to the towards the end of that, right? The, the Congressional Budget Office predicts that increasing Medicare's eligibility would slash billions from the federal deficit. Wow, wow, that's uh, that's interesting. So mm -hmm. uh, obviously, uh, there's cons though too. Mm, yeah, that's the tough part: is universal balance. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that <laughs> is and a cons. problem. Uh, cons. They may be pretty obvious, but if they're not, let's explain it. First, employers, younger seniors, they would have to pay for the health care that Medicare previously covered. And an expense like that would likely be in the billions each year. If they're going to slash, if you're going to slash it, there's going to be expenses somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And raising the eligibility age could also drive up the out-of-pocket costs for people already on Medicare. Now, why, he might ask. Well, that's because people first coming into Medicare are younger and healthier, 
than older recipients. But if the eligibility age went up, it would mean a pool made up of older and perhaps sicker people. Mm, I see. So uh, obviously there are, that's a, that's a pretty major con uh, mm-hmm. right there to the <laughs> thing. So, but wouldn't it also be possible that older Medicare eligibility age could leave some people uninsured? I mean, that's a real problem, I would think. You have amazing powers of observation. Thank you, sir. Yeah, see, and that's true. It's a very real possibility. Uh, According to the Congressional Budget Office, if an older eligibility age had been implemented in 2020, uh, by 2026, something like 3.7 million of the people affected by the change, or about 5%, would have been uninsured. Oh, that's not good. That's 3.7 million unhappy voters. Yeah, that's the... <laughs> yeah, I guess if you if con- Congress would hopefully look at it that way, or not that they're gonna look at it that way, right? <laughs> well, like, either way, hopefully they do something about it, right, to make those people happy, right, right, like, figure it out, right. All right, well let's let's keep it rolling. Okay. Um, uh, what do you have for us next? Uh, how earmarking revenue from an existing tax is a way to potentially make Medicare more viable in the decades to come. Congress could use the unearned income Medicare contribution tax. It's also known as the net investment tax to directly fund Medicare. It was established in 2010. It was to help pay for the Affordable Care Act. You know, the last time, remember, when they messed with insurance and everybody loved it? Yeah, that's where <laughs> that was done. <laughs> but the money currently for that currently goes into a general fund. Now, the biggest pro for this one is simply that it may be easier for Congress to live with. Now, the current the tax currently hits high earners, 200,000 for single filers, 250,000 for joint filers. So that looks good in the news, I think. Uh, the 3.8% tax is levied on investment income like dividends. But the con here, according to critics, is that it would do little more than shuffle money around without truly addressing how to make Medicare sustainable into the future because unless healthcare's costs are addressed, premiums will continue to go up. Yeah. Well, and I, I get it. You got to address the rising healthcare costs. They have mm-hmm. to. And prescription drug costs yeah. are, are essential to address those as well. That's all part of it. Yeah. Modifying advantage payments might be the next possible solution. Uh, Medicare advantage part C and we talk about is money paid to private insurance uh, insurers and medical providers. This program isn't funded separately. It's supported by money from parts A, B, and D. So Medicare pays advantage plans a fixed amount for each enrollee. And some experts, according to the article, argue that the government overpays for Medicare Advantage. Imagine that. I mean, we didn't see it when they were buying hammers and toilet seats. How could they possibly be overpaying for health care? But <laughs> one proposal would set Medicare Advantage payments aside for the bid with the second lowest cost. And doing so may foster more competition among insurance companies. Hmm. And generally, more competition leads to better prices. And the biggest potential drawback with this one is that insurance companies are likely to fight tooth and nail to get Congress to stand down because insurance companies historically don't like making less money. Yeah. So I'm, I always hear, you always hear about negotiating prescription drug prices, allowing mm-hmm. Medicare to do that. And I know that's something that, you know, is in the news. A lot of people talk about a lot. Yeah, it's true. It, it does spur a lot of conversation. And since I'm feeling so cynical today on some <laughs> of this stuff today, I might, today. I might continue with this. Listen, I believe, I believe in nothing but the best for tomorrow. I, I, 
I'm an eternal optimist for tomorrow's goodness. I always believe the sun is going to rise. But I also realize that some things are going to happen no matter when the sun goes up and when it comes down. Some things are going to happen in between that make life tougher for some folks. And uh, negotiate not being able to negotiate better drug prices, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Never has. Right. Uh, it's the we're one of the you know it's a huge government buying tons of prescription drugs and they don't bargain for them. Yeah, that doesn't make I, sense. I taught my daughter. Yeah, I taught my daughter how to negotiate the first thing she ever wanted to buy in a store. You know, like and and the government can't figure that out for drugs makes me it just drives me nuts. Now the Build Back Better Act, I don't care how you feel about it. It's still sitting in Congress. It would allow Medicare to negotiate prices for a small group of high cost drugs beginning in 2025 for part D 2027 for part B. There are governments that do this. I have a feeling, you know, again, I might be cynical. It might be because, uh, pharmacies are addicted to the price of, uh, the drugs that they sell to the government and they don't want to lose those not pharmacies, but pharmaceutical companies, you know, right. they, right. Uh, they don't want to lose those profits and neither do their shareholders. But I don't think there's any issue with uh, Congress's record of how they do their trades in the news, is there? <laughs> Again, with the sarcasm, yes, uh, yeah. that, that, is a, that is a concern. So uh, there are pros to allowing Medicare to negotiate drug prices, obviously. Then, Yeah, I think there's great pros. Uh, now, in the act that... I don't even really, I'm not worried about the act itself because it's, I don't want to push the act or knock it down. It is what it is. But at the very least, it would allow the company or the government to start negotiating with the companies at first, just 10 drugs and 50 drugs. It just seems like a really odd way to do it. Why they wouldn't just allow them to negotiate drugs prices now or you know like it's a simple fix just go for it um but uh the cons uh now it doesn't do anything for part a because inpatient care uh, providers are sure. reimbursed for a procedure's entire cost not just each individual service uh, additionally negotiating drug prices likely won't cost cut costs for some of the most expensive treatments which are often recently approved drugs unless the collective bargaining agreement of the u.s government helps you know okay well then we just won't buy them from you it's amazing how sometimes prices will go down uh, medicare wouldn't be able to negotiate the roughly on this that topic like the twenty-eight thousand per patient annual cost of adjahelm which is uh that physician administered alzheimer's treatment we talked about a couple shows ago uh fda approved that in 2020 uh, now under the proposed legislation new treatments are exempt from negotiation for between nine to 13 years, depending on what type of medicine it is. Um, but again, I understand some of the companies have to recoup some of their costs for creating some of these drugs, but I also think that the government's got to recoup some of the costs for the high prices of healthcare. So um, there are pros and cons to every one of these, like I said, universal balance, but. Well, yeah, that's true. I, I think, I think this has been a great topic. Now we're out of time for today's show. Um, it is important to understand that there are uh, pros and cons to some of these ideas, but at least there are ideas out there. Now, if Congress can act on them, that's another thing. 
But I think when we talk about Medicare and Social Security, as you've mentioned to me before, Matt, uh, it is in their best interest. As you said earlier on the show, there are a lot of voters out there uh, who are going to be left in the lurch if they don't uh, keep these programs functioning and keep them solvent. So uh, I think that's the important thing to note here. Yeah, I think they'll find a way to do something about it. It probably won't be as beneficial for our kids as it is for us. Right. <laughs> yes. They, they, if nothing else, the government is entirely qualified to kick the can down the road a little oh, ways. Oh, yeah. 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 They can prop it up so they can kick it down the road to the next generation and make it their problem. Right. And I'm not saying all government employees. This, you know, I, I'm speaking of specific parts of the government in and of itself. So, yeah, no, I'm good. I don't need any co- congressional delegates calling me for help with their financial <laughs> matters. They seem to have that unlocked. Any other government employee, I appreciate the job you're doing. You're working hard like the rest of the country. And if you have any questions about what we can do to help, please feel free to contact us. Yeah, I know you guys You guys actually work with a lot of government employees to help them with their finances. Yeah, and we do. You have government employees uh, as your uh, clients, and, mm-hmm. and they have a unique set of financial needs because of the way uh, you know they may have pensions, which uh, mm-hmm. most private companies don't offer anymore. So there are different planning techniques there. That I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, but yes, we're talking about Congress here, of course. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah, I want to make that clear. I'm not yeah. deriding everyone that works yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to see Congress pass some effective legislation. Wouldn't some we point all? In my life. Yes. Wouldn't that yeah. be great? Together. Yes. I, without yeah. fighting the whole way through. Yeah. Yeah. I've always said before, if, well, I'm still on this earth, there's two things I'd like to see. Uh, my, my football, my NFL team win a Super Bowl and Congress to pass effective legislation. I, <laughs> and the odds of either one of those happening are really uh, getting slim. And have oh, is been Dallas slim. your favorite team? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. They've won a Super Bowl before. My team has never <laughs> I won a you Super said Bowl in your lifetime. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's true. <laughs> no, Dallas has won a Super Bowl in my lifetime. I believe so. Uh, a couple of them actually. So anyway, uh, but no, it's not Dallas. Uh, I just don't want to offend any fans by giving my home team away. They know. I just, probably. yeah, I figured we would just defend Texas because they, they could handle it. Yeah, they can handle it. All right. Well, hey, let our <laughs> listeners know one more time, Matt, how they can get a hold of you. Sure. It's 800 339 9252 if you like to telephone, or you can visit us online at compass ltd.com. All right. And that does it for today's episode of the Financial Compass with our host, Matt Brunner. Thank you for listening to The Financial Compass. Don't pay too much for taxes or retire without a sound retirement plan. For more information, please contact Matthew Brunner at Comprehensive Planning Associates. Call 800-339-9252 or visit their website at compass-ltd.com. All matters discussed during this show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation. Insurance products and services, fee-based financial planning, and investment advisory services are offered by Comprehensive Planning Associates, LTD, Compass, a registered investment advisor in the state of Connecticut. Securities are offered
offered by Gretchen Brunner and Matthew Brunner through Gradient Securities, LLC, Arden Hills, Minnesota, 866-991-1539. Member FINRA, SIPC, Comprehensive Planning Associates, LTD, Compass, and Gradient Securities, LLC are not affiliated companies. Gradient Securities, LLC, and Comprehensive Planning Associates, LTD, Compass are not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any government agency. Please refrain from posting reviews of your experience as this may be considered testimonials and are prohibited by the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC. Like should not be considered a positive reflection of the investment advisory services offered by Gradient Securities, LLC, GS, and or their investment advisor representatives.